Coming up, today's guest is the Senior Market Insights Manager at App Annie. You'll discover how iOS 14 will impact mobile advertising, the category of apps that are growing pre-pandemic and during the pandemic, and the most impactful marketing channels marketers need to focus on. All that and so much more. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. B7Dev.com is the app development firm dedicated to helping entrepreneurs go from app idea to success because they understand startups and don't charge you huge fees just to get your app off the ground. Learn more at B7Dev.com. With over 120 million happy users, Theorem Reach is helping app developers make more money with fun, rewarded surveys that you can easily add to your app. Go check out theoremreach.com to learn more. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to growing your app downloads and, more importantly, your app revenues. And today, I've got a phenomenal guest. I've been talking all about this, about insights, marketing insights, making sure you're doing your research before you do anything, really, before building an app, before doing advertising, before you do anything whatsoever. And who better to talk to than somebody from App Annie. So I've got Lexi Cito. She is the Senior Market Insights Manager at App Annie. We're gonna talk all about market research and doing the research before you actually do anything. Lexi, welcome on. Welcome on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Really happy to be here. All right, Lexi, and let's talk about the thing that most people are on top of mind, iOS 14 and how the newest features and especially the IDFA news, how that's gonna really impact the, the, le- the user level tracking. Absolutely. I know um, this has been top of mind in the industry um, and rightfully so. Um, so pretty much what we've seen, you know, this is, um, this is a, a consumer shift, a consumer shift in behavior. And we've seen that even with apps like Telegram um, and Signal growing in downloads over the last couple of years. Um, Telegram was actually one of the most downloaded apps of the quarter globally in Q2 wow. and also broke into the top 10 by uh, monthly active users. So we're seeing that people are prioritizing um, privacy over convenience now. Um, and what iOS 14 is doing, um, for those of you who haven't heard yet, but it's uh, basically Apple's gonna require an opt-in for users um, at the app level to say, hey, I'll let you kind of like monitor my, my behavior or what I'm doing in your app. Um, and, and why that's important is that we expect um, at least nine of every 10 users to decline that opt-in. So um, that kind of means that you're getting you're really having a void in that user level data that you used to have um, specifically for ad, ad advertising tracking. So um, that's pretty impactful. And especially because obviously iOS is um, one of the two, um, at least in the US, uh, major players for app stores, iOS and Google Play. Um, there's third party Android, um, especially big in China. Uh, but that's meaningful. That's a huge um, dent kind of in the industry and we expect that other os's will follow so what really is happening is without that user level data um there's a concerted shift you know of not being able to get that depth 
anymore. Um, so now it's about thinking about how do you go kind of wide? How do you get other information, contextual or aggregate information? And that's where we're seeing um, is the best way to kind of future-proof those strategies. Uh, to, to look at kind of the context um, and the campaign level and aggregate metrics. And that's gonna be what really will help, especially with ad campaign tracking in the future. Um, and then layering that with kind of that competitive market look. Um, that's what's really gonna be helpful going forward without that user level data. Alexi, you have this like breadth of knowledge. Do you, you know, I was asked this question too, and I'm like, do you think it's gonna have a, a real impact on this? Cause I feel like sometimes we over estimate the impact of something like this. The app stores are constantly changing. Like we've dealt with this before. I've been in the game for a very long time, over 10 plus years. And like, this isn't the first time that we've seen a dramatic change like this. And I don't, I think, I, I don't know, this was my saying. And so you feel free to disagree with me. I was like, I don't know if it's going to, if we're overestimating the impact it's going to really have on this. But I love your thoughts. Yeah, I think for us, what we've noticed is just that over time, this has been, um, this isn't kind of an isolated incident, right? You know, with GDPR and Shield um, uh, and other privacy policies, like we really have seen that this is a major trend that's shifting. Um, so I think for us, it's yes, this is this is one um, kind of one instance in time that's kind of flagging and bringing it top of mind. But for us, it's about the overall trend is showing that we're moving towards this space. Um, for instance, you know, the, the kind of uh, death of cookies as well. Uh, so Google announced <laughs> with web um, that they're pretty much put the final nail in the coffin there um, for this year. So for us, it's more of that long term trend. And so it's about kind of when you're doing analysis, um, especially when you have data across multiple sources um, and you've got your market data, you've got your first party data, um, all of your ad tech data funneling in, it's kind of, you're at that point where it's, it's how do I make it efficient? How do I um, streamline that information and become agile with it um, in order to kind of make those quick decisions that are based on insights that you can trust? Um, and I think that that's where we are here is with this change for user level data, um, I don't think that this is a trend that will, um, you know, reverse. I think we're, we're on that path where user level data will just not be as valuable going forward. Um, and so it's about, it's that time now to kind of future proof that and to do it in a way that you can still be efficient and agile with your analysis and with the decisions you're making. Um, and so that's where we're kind of looking at it from our standpoint is that in order to be effective um, and to be efficient and optimal in making the decisions that really matter, um, it's about future-proofing. Um, so this is just one of those instances that's showing uh, the, the greater trend. And so for us, it's about being savvy and making sure you set up now um, to future-proof for that point so that uh, it's not kind of a scramble when you've realized, oh, I really don't have the information I need to make the decisions that I need to make about my, uh, my waterfall, about what's happening with my other ad partners. Um, and so for us, it's about really taking the time to, to set it up because this trend is, is pretty much here to stay. We're not seeing indications that um, it's kind of, you know, letting off the gas. We're really seeing privacy and user level privacy is being prioritized by regulations and governments and moves like this by Apple and Google, um, Google with the cookies as well. So for us, it's really about being strategic and getting in front of it versus being left without the information you need later. So true. And I was like, you know what, if you're running Facebook ads, you can kind of figure out like what the click through rate. Yes, you might not have like the whole downstream funnel and all that stuff, but there are probably ways that you can kind of figure all that stuff. It won't be as easy as it was before, but it's still not the end of the world. Is it? 
either. I mean, that's, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the aggregate data comes in and yeah. contextual metrics and knowing where things are and what genres and how that's interacting. Um, those are the things that you can, you can piece that puzzle together. Um, but you got to make sure you prioritize getting that data now. <laughs> right. I like it. Okay. This is, and I'm sure, you know, App Annie, your clients are humongous game companies or, I mean, I'm sorry, app companies, but the question I get often too, when I'm working with these bigger companies is, Hey, how do you balance between organic and paid? That is a great question. Um, we get it across the board from, you know, those kind of mobile first, like um, first mover gaming companies. Uh, but we also get it from more like those mobile forced companies, if you will. So retailers that are sort of have their primary strategy was brick and mortar, but now they're heavily focusing on mobile, especially, um, you know, right now with, with, um, with the pandemic, I think e-commerce, there's no denying how important that's become, especially on mobile. So it is a great question. And um, I guess the answer that probably people, they might not love is just that you need both and you need to balance it. Um, so keywords are extremely important as part of your organic strategy. Um, you know, Apple says that about 65% of all downloads come from keyword searches on iOS app store. Um, so that's pretty powerful. And things that when you are looking at your keyword strategy, um, organic is incredibly important and being able to kind of see what the competitors are doing is a really important part of that. Um, and that's both to basically offensively um, and defensively kind of react, right? So you want to make sure that you're leveraging things, for instance, um, um, if Uber is ranking for the keyword Apple Pay, right, then that shows that they're prioritizing um, the payment por portion of, of the app. And that's a key feature they're thinking that you, uh, consumers are demanding. Um, and for instance, Lyft is ranking for the keyword yellow cap. So these introduce you to kind of their differences in strategies. Um, Lyft focusing more on capturing traffic from people who still use taxis. Um, Uber obviously probably still doing some of that, but then they're also leveraging the payment factor as a key value proposition. So understanding how your consumer, your competitors are moving in that space is really important. Um, and then also things like who is, um, how are paid search ads? Those are incredibly important for your app strategy. Um, and it's sort of that area we see in between organic and paid. Yes, it's paid, but you're tapping into that organic traffic because you're basically just having your ad or your keyword, um, your app show up at the top of the screen on iOS at least. Um, above all the other search results. So that's important because we've seen a lot of apps use competitor keyword bidding. So you use the branded keyword. Um, so for instance, uh, you know, DoorDash ranked number two for its branded keyword, um, or competitor DoorDash ranked number two for the keyword uh, Grubhub. So that's important information for them. And so we see that re retailers um, and uh, like, Target and, and Walmart and Amazon will do that as well. Um, and they'll bid on competitor keywords and that allows you to rank above them and be top of mind for that user. Um, and that's really important, I think. That's a big part of the strategy, especially if 65% of downloads come from search, you're really trying to tap into that intent. Um, and so we see that paid search ads are incredibly important and understanding how the competitive landscape is will help you kind of target what you need to target. We also, you know, Generic keywords such as um, taxi or rideshare; those are important. But we also see a lot of um, a lot of tactics that involve um, strategically leveraging searches off of your competitors. Um, and then further than that, we just see um, 
paid advertising is big. And I think this is where it's both in-app ads um, for app installs, as well as branded campaigns. We've seen that brand campaigns have increased um, in, in how much they're using, uh, they're paying for those spots on um, in-app ads. So that's another aspect is that it doesn't necessarily, we see basically a lot of companies that might not have a mobile first um, app presence, but they're still leveraging in-app ads as a key way to get their branding out and to reach consumers on their mobile devices. Um, so that's an incredibly important part of the process. And I think orchestrating those together is, is really when you see things sing. Um, and then hopefully you can tap into that virality aspect, which is really um, what people are trying to get at. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said the branding thing because I used to work for walmart.com and, you know, I think what we try to do is have a branding campaign where, yeah, you know, like we just wanted eyeballs on it. And so like a television ad, for instance, would be a branded campaign. Like we might not get a lift in downloads, but we're just want our brand out there. Is that what you mean by what, what you're talking about with the branded campaign too? Yes, absolutely. So we will see, you know, direct ads calling, hey, download our app. Um, and for instance, even with what we saw with Walmart um, during the holiday season is, even their sort of brand campaign ads on television at the very end of the ad, the call to action is like, and also download our mobile app. Right. Um, so we're seeing kind of, there is that crossover of across all different channels and mediums, but we are seeing more branded campaigns in games as well as apps, just because that's where consumers are. Um, we actually saw that during April, uh, one of that kind of peak months globally for the pandemic, uh, we saw that the time increased, uh, the average time per user that they were spending per day on mobile was up to four hours and 20 minutes, which wow. is a 20% increase from 2019. Um, and that's a global figure, so it does vary by market. We see emerging markets tend to be higher, a bit more mobile first, um, and, and then markets like the US and UK might kind of be a little bit lower. Um, but that's an, it's a huge amount of time, and it's, it's basically over 25% of your waking hours. That's if we insane. all get those eight hours of sleep that we <laughs> try to. Um, so that's, yeah, it's insane. It's, an, it's a lot of time we're spending. And I think what's really interesting is that we're seeing, um, you know, apps, they're filling voids that, um, you know, we might have gone to television for. And I think that's a really important thing to consider is how um, the lines blur between social and video streaming now. Um, you know, people are going to TikTok and Instagram, not just to connect with friends and to see what, you know, your community is up to, but to watch interesting content um, and that's mobile first. So that's that's been a really interesting trend that we've been monitoring too and feeds directly into that increase in daily time spent. Hey Lexi, you know, just out of curiosity, I've heard of the 65 downloads, percent of downloads come from keyword searches. Do you happen to have a chance, like a breakdown on what is branded versus like generic terms? We do not have we do not have a breakdown um, directly on those um, in aggregate, but you, we can see them at the app level. Um, so for instance, you can see the kind of shakeout for a search volume from a branded versus a um, generic keyword. And um, for paid search, that's where we've seen a lot of the branded. I would say um, at least 30 to 40% of what I've seen of the keywords that are being used for paid. Um, I would say it's pretty safe to say that that's branded, yeah. um, but it, it can be higher based on the app. Um, so we, we could give you an idea around each app, um, but I would say it, there are rules as well um, within the app stores for just your keywords. Um, so leveraging 
um, branded terms within your app. It's very difficult, say, to, to put a competitor's term. You, you don't want to do that probably in your app description. Call out that, <laughs> that competitor and have that be part of what's helping you rank for that keyword. Um, and that's why I think with, with paid search ads, it's a really um, critical tactic people are using. Um, and it is a big chunk of what we've seen for um, looking at apps and games, I'd say for a lot of apps, you see that happen. Um, so especially when you look at things like video streaming or um, for instance, uh, food delivery apps in the States, two markets that are really competitive and there are a lot of big players, uh, we definitely see that there's a heavy emphasis on driving kind of capturing the traffic that would go to say um, Uber Eats or Grubhub and pulling it to DoorDash. Um, so that's that's a big part of those paid search ads. Man, it's good to be the platform, huh? It's like they're constantly <laughs> winning, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apple's winning constantly. <laughs> I love it. Okay, cool. The other thing I want to focus on next is the most impactful marketing channels. Absolutely. We, it, it's been really interesting. I'd say, I guess it goes without saying kind of, but mobile first and foremost is one of the most impactful marketing channels. Um, you know, we spend the bulk of our time in apps um, versus web. So mobile apps in particular, about 90%, so like nine out of every 10 minutes is spent in an app versus on a web browser on your phone. Web is still very important, like a web app like Google Chrome or Safari, uh, but we really see apps as where things shine. Um, and that's where we've seen click-through rates, um, like conversion rates, basket sizes, especially for e-commerce apps, um, perform a lot better within apps versus web. Um, so mobile apps, I'd say first and foremost, is really important. It kind of harkens back to what we were talking about with brand campaigns. Um, it's important for, basically every business I'd say, you know, um, this is where consumers are. Um, and so being able to capture that attention there is really important. And um, I think that that's a major trend we're seeing as well as that shift in, in non-traditional mobile first, you know, not a mobile game or a social media company, but other brands, established brands looking at mobile as a key channel um, to drive that traffic, even if it's not directly to their app. Um, another really important strategy, I'd say, or channel within this is um, looking at video. Video is incredibly important. We've been monitoring this trend over the last couple of years and across the board, you know, in sports, we've seen um, streaming rise by a lot <laughs> over the years. Um, right now, I'd say, you know, sports is an interesting one. We'd have to wait and see how that happens. Um, we had baseball just start like, back again in the US. But historically, we've seen that like the megabytes per user being used in sports apps have just gone up um, increasingly every year, which indicates that they're streaming more. Um, so video is incredibly important. And we've seen that, you know, with a lot of the, the launches this year, um, with Peacock TV just launching and Google, uh, excuse me, Disney Plus having major launches and expansions. Um, that's a competitive marketplace right now. And what I think is important is that we look at video ads as well. And, and that kind of rides in that larger trend that video streaming is increasing on mobile. And we actually saw that video share of total ads increased about 25% or from 25% in December 2017 to over 63% um, in December 2019 among one of the major ad networks. So that's really, yeah, it's definitely um, consumers are engaging with them. And then you also have, um, there's like rewarded videos that can happen as well. So it's, it's a very powerful medium. And I think that that's a very important one to consider in a mobile strategy right now. Um, we've seen that consumers spent 50% more sessions in entertainment apps, which are predominantly a lot of video streaming apps, 
in 2019 than they did in 2017. So they're opening those apps more and they're engaging for longer. Um, and then I'd say just as a kind of a tip is that with, uh, if you're using video ads, be sure to have both portrait and landscape orientation. Um, so you wanna make sure that you're slotting into how the user is holding their phone. If they're streaming content on a traditional like video streaming app, it'll likely be um, in landscape orientation um, or if they're playing a game perhaps. And then you know it'll be in portrait for other apps if they're shopping or um, scrolling through the news. So it's important to consider both formats and have both available in your video ad strategy. And then also to consider creating content specifically for mobile with shorter formats um, and content that supports viewing without sound um, and versus repurposing your existing campaigns. I think we've seen more brands prioritize kind of mobile specific videos and content um, now than we have in the past. In the beginning, it was a lot of using the same video you might be putting out um, in multiple channels. And now we're really seeing people prioritize what is what it should look like for mobile and i think um without sound is a really nice one that you could have to consider having those captions because a lot of the times people are scrolling um and they don't have the sound on so a couple of tool tips for that but i'd say um ultimately thinking about creating that video content specifically for mobile is a big one i love that and i've seen this lexi too when i think it was through instagram i was going through the stories and they had they made it look like a TikTok. I guess it was like a TikTok video, but it was an ad and they had just words like a, a normal, like either an IG story would have too. And it was, it was very engaging. I was like, oh, am I watching an ad or am I watching like a normal story? So I really like how they incorporate that. And I didn't need to have sound on to really get what the, the video was doing. I really like that. Absolutely. I think that that's a key thing to consider, especially if you're um, trying to attract the Gen Z market. Mm -hmm. um, user generated content um, is really key. And that's, you know, been popularized by Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok. And I would say it's really important to consider um, if you have a video going out, maybe the big, the polished big production content is not what you need to be putting out to resonate with those users on mobile. Um, like you're saying, it's that user generated kind of feel that maybe, you know, it, it functions completely fine without the sound and you've got enough context there for the user. Um, so I think that's a really important, uh, that example is, is pretty poignant for what we're seeing and what we, we try to recommend people to consider, um, especially with video ads. I know a, pod, a past podcast guest of mine from Reflectly, the CMO, he would use influencers like nano influencers, get them to create the content. And then he would use that content. Obviously, they would promote, but they're following so small. But he would use that content to as ads. And he's seen very high performance using those that content, user-generated content, for his ads. Absolutely. Um, I could definitely see that. And I think what we've seen with Gen Z is that um, in particular, they're very heavy uh, mobile users and very mobile first, basically grew up with a smartphone in their hands, probably from day one nearly. Um, and so we see that really um, authenticity is important. And that's been um, you know, surveyed across, uh, many companies have surveyed that with consumers, but they, they want that authentic feel from a company. And they're typically aligning with brands um, often on their mission and what they stand for. So it's a little bit of a shift from uh, previous generations. And so I think that's where that influencer content um, that looks that user generated content can really resonate is that it feels more authentic. And it's kind of tapping into that consumer mindset. You know, Lexi, I, I love tools. And I actually 
do a lot of content around App Annie and being like, all right, if you guys want to do ASO, here's how you use App Annie. Put the app in, in because App Annie is the only tool that will actually show you the top keywords that an app is ranking for. Whereas other tools, you kind of have to put in the keywords and then they'll show you the ranks. Like App Annie will just show you the keywords. I'm like, it's a great tool. You can do a lot of market research in terms of figuring out which apps are the top grossing. I found a couple of different apps in different categories of apps. The the thing I want to ask you is, are you seeing, especially maybe I don't want to do during the pandemic times because hopefully things will change and we won't be like this forever. But like, do you guys, do you see, have any insights on like what types of category of apps are actually trending up in terms of like revenue and top grossing at all? Absolutely. Um, I, I guess the view I have right now is very, um, it is kind of, I guess H1 has been heavily um, influenced by the pandemic, but I'd say um, video conferencing <laughs> for <laughs> business and for just normal, um, that's been going up. I'd say, but that's like, to me, that, that, that's tapping into a bigger trend. Um, we see that multiplayer games, so within the gaming genre, multiplayer features or features that have um, the ability to play um, online with your friends, those are big and ten, we tend to see that the top apps, the most popular apps and the ones that make the most revenue have some sort of multiplayer feature. And I think that's something that during kind of pandemic times, we've seen people turning to mobile for that connection as well as that kind of entertainment you get from a game. Um, but that's bigger because in 20, even in 2019, that's something that was a major trend we saw uh, prior to kind of the uh, COVID. So I'd say anything that's uh, multiplayer as well. And then we see things like Discord um, rising in the charts over time as well, where people are kind of connecting while playing games. Um, I'd say overall, play games on mobile, I mean, it's by and large the biggest uh, form of gaming globally by, um, by revenue. Um, it's almost 3x some of the other uh, for PC and Mac or uh, console or handheld console um, and consumer spend, it's definitely taken over the market and is the fastest growing medium. And what we see is like, I mean, people are gamers of all different types, people who might not consider themselves a gamer, for instance, right? Like playing Candy Crush or a hyper casual game um, or a, you know, Sudoku or some kind of a wordplay game, as well as we've seen kind of the other side of the spectrum expand with core gaming because mobile's capabilities and device specs are so much better um, and stronger in the path than they have been in the past that it can facilitate things like cross device play. Um, what we've seen with Fortnite um, or PUBG where you can play on multiple devices um, and like with Fortnite, you know, can play on um, your, your game console, computer or your phone um, and kind of have a seamless experience. Um, so that's another area that we've seen. So that multiplayer facet, also cross device play. I'd say overall, we've seen, um, we've spoken about user-generated content. I think that's pretty big across the board. Um, also, we've seen that fitness apps. So whether that's wellness, um, such as um, Calm or Headspace, where it's more of a meditation app, um, those apps have grown um, in demand as well as revenue over time. And we've also seen that things like at-home fitness, where your phone is sort of functioning as your um, you know, your personal trainer in a lot of ways. Um, those apps kind of across the board, we've seen them grow. Uh, and then we've seen them grow specifically even more during kind of the pandemic times, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I think that that's part of it is that people are using apps um, and the native features of apps and mobile devices to supplement or um, complement their workouts. So Strava or um, Nike Run being able to 
have those tracking systems that leverage, you know, having your phone with you for music on a run or a ride and tracking your, um, your progress. That's innately unique to mobile. You can't really take your laptop or anything else with you on a, on a run. I mean, I guess you could, but, um, so that's another area that we've seen really growing over the years. Um, and then we've seen specifically kind of, um, take off during the kind of at home social distancing, um, stage, um, and then things, I think as well, other categories that we've really seen grow. Um, and again, we're growing quickly. And then I think being at home um, under social distancing policies helped kind of fuel even further growth, kind of like propelled it a bit farther is things like food delivery um, that's been globally massive um, and has been kind of growing over time. And then we've seen that really take off in a meaningful way. Um, we've also seen uh, grocery, online grocery, I'd say, specifically in the States, we've, retail on mobile has been um, taking off, I'd say 2018 was a bit of an inflection point for us um, in, the, in the US, whereas mobile first shopping has been big in APAC for a long time, um, but it was definitely um, slower uh, in the uptake in the US, and I'd say grocery stores, is, they're having a big moment right now, but that's also been something that we've monitored over 2019, that we saw um, demand for grocery store apps increasing, whether that's for the loyalty program that you use at the checkout, um, if it's a point of sale um, you know, payment option uh, within the app or a loyalty scan, or having your list in the app, um, having features that help you navigate the store, um, or just placing the order remotely and being able to facilitate a drive up pickup or um, a buy online, pick up in store, or have it delivered to you. So those are also key, um, another key area we've seen growing over the past year, um, and especially in 2020, seeing Accelerate. Um, we could probably talk about this topic for days, <laughs> to be honest, now that I'm thinking about it, but there's really, there's tons of, of new applications. And I think as well, what's been really interesting is um, Financial involvement, that's another uh, area I've really been monitoring. Um, we've seen that growth in, in finance and that's both banking as well as FinTech. And what I found really interesting is that um, what we've seen is that people are um, basically checking their mobile banking apps about like once a day, um, which is pretty fascinating because that shows that that's kind of new behavior. You never would have necessarily, and this is true of 20, um, as of 2018, 2019, um, you wouldn't necessarily walk into your bank branch every day, but you are having that brand interaction on your mobile device um, nearly daily. And in some markets like Australia, more than daily. Um, so that's been really interesting as well. And then FinTech has taken off with, I mean, which can kind of run the gamut, but things like taxes, right? It's, ta it's well, it was tax season here in Q1 and Q2. And we see the IRS to go, TurboTax, um, Credit Karma, these apps take off during that time because people are actually using them for filing their taxes. Um, and then things like Robinhood, um, kind of getting involved in the financial markets. Um, we've seen that growing over time and really take off this year. I think people turning uh, both for information and to stay informed, as well as um, actively trading as well, or monitoring the stocks that they've traded. Yeah, I like that. Thank you for sharing that, because I do think that sometimes we see a, a market, and we're like, oh, it's so competitive, like meditation, for example, or the home fitness realm. 
but you know, that's where the dollars are. And sometimes if you can just, as maybe an app startup, you can, if you can take a slice of the pie, make a niche of your own, that's where you're going to grow. And I've, I've had many people come to me who have used app Annie to figure out what's really top grossing the charts and then create a very similar app and then cut out their own little piece of the pie and make pretty good money from that as well. So really good stuff. Lexi. And I, I got to tell you, like on a personal level, I love these. Like we have a Peloton at home and I've been using their guided runs and it's just like literally having a coach kind of be like, all right, now speed up, now slow down. And I find that I've run a lot faster. Whereas if I was just running myself, listening to music, I might just be like taking it easy, kind of chilling. <laughs> but because I have this person yelling at me, they're not yelling, but coaching me through it. I'm like, wow, I actually run a lot faster because of this app. So I'm a big yeah, absolutely. I think that that's um, it's one of those the compelling offers is that like you've got um, you know a feature that essentially feels like you've got a trainer with you telling you to keep pushing or um, what to do. And I think that that's where uh, we're seeing some really interesting like uh, IoT connected devices trends emerge uh, with things like Mirror. Uh, Little Lemon just bought mirror that um, kind of yeah. is a mirror, <laughs> but it helps you, um, like a smart mirror that helps track like your movements. And, and that's kind of another level on top of that, right? Where um, you've got an app that's tracking your progress and then this physical device that's saying, okay, uh, nope, your knee is going over your, your ankle. So you're not, you don't have proper form. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's a really, I mean, I, I do think that we're, um, we sort of, our phones are sort of our little our personal kind of admin tools and, and then expanding into so much more. Um, I, I can't even think of the run I've done without using a fitness app to track and to monitor. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's been, it's like, I don't even want to work out without it. Cause I want the work. I don't even, nobody's looking right. Lexi, I'm like, yeah. no, but I'm looking and I want the app and hopefully the world to know that I did this today. And that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. <laughs> and for some people as well, if you're into, um, for runs or hikes or, um, cycling, like there is that social element of, yeah. of following people on Strava and making sure that you're aware of like what runs they did or how fast they were on their ride and, and, and also tracking what rides they did. Like, wow, I didn't even know that, that was a good route. I'm going to do that next time. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can beat their time. <laughs> yeah, totally. I know. I'm with you. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I do this with my wife all the time. Like, oh, she's getting on Peloton. I'm like, oh, I got to try to beat her time. And then I hurt, end up hurting myself. <laughs> but next, <laughs> Let's end with this. What is the one thing that advertisers can do to improve their success on mobile? Oh, this is um, a really timely question. I'd say uh, one of the things that we're looking at, and it kind of harkens back to, to iOS 14 as well, but um, one of the big areas to improve success is through agility. Um, and what we're seeing is like for, for UA managers or, or advertising managers, or monetization managers, um, a lot of the times if you're, so if you've got, you know, there are multiple ways you can monetize on mobile, one of which is uh, through the app store. So in-app purchases and app subscriptions, um, another is through in-app advertising. And then there's also m-commerce like with Amazon and Uber where you transact directly. Um, for in-app advertising, uh, it's also, that's a big area that's been growing. Um, and we expect it to hit $240 billion in spend this year up 25% from last year. So it's, it's pretty massive. Um, and we're seeing more and more apps and games leverage both uh, kind of a hybrid model, like both in-app purchases or subscriptions as well as in-app ads, um, which is a nice kind of addition because it helps shift that burden of cost from the consumer to the advertiser. So as a result though, for these monetization managers or UI managers, you've got a lot of data sets coming in. And what we're seeing is that 
um, you, you know, being able to automatically aggregate and normalize that and make sure um, everything from the time period or the time zone, um, the, the name of the game, the name of the platform, all these things are kind of normalized um, and make sense and communicate with each other because uh, we're also seeing that mobile advertisers are using more uh, platforms and more networks. Um, and so kind of having more sophisticated campaigns with, with more creatives um, across more um, potential serving um, ad networks. So there's a lot, there's a lot of information to manage and we see that improving your insights and um, time to action. Um, it's really important to kind of be able to automatically aggregate that into like a central source of truth um, and be able to act quickly. Um, so that's a real, that's one of the main key areas that we're seeing as, as a real point for success, um, especially given um, changes in, in um, user level tracking as well. And I think what this taps into is right, like it, by the time you, you collect your data from all of your ad sources um, and you clean that data, it tends to be stale, right? You, you've kind of missed the opportunity to optimize your waterfall. It's, it's you've already let it run for too long. Um, and, and then there's a lot of errors in the Excel spreadsheets. Um, and so I think what the key is to be able to cut back on the time and the effort and make sure that you feel confident about the, um, the decisions you're making from all of those insights. So that for us is one of the key focuses. Um, we have a new product called Appani Ascend that kind of does this for you. It's this aggregation of data um, and normalizing and being able to kind of see that alongside all of Appani's kind of market insights and competitive intelligence. Um, and that kind of gives you this rich full picture that you can really stand out against the competition and succeed. Um, so having that agility, I think for us is one of the key things that we think can be improved upon and make the difference for a lot of mobile advertisers um, and a lot of publishers. I love it. And I'll link that into the show notes as well. So app any ascend. And the one thing that I want to make sure we mentioned too, and you kind of touched on it, Lexi, is the fact that, hey, it's the, the people that are finding success, especially through the paid channels are really testing a lot of creatives. And that's been more productive than anything else. Absolutely. We've seen um, the number of creatives in an average campaign increase over time. We kind of look at this every year and make sure we're understanding. Um, and some of the most successful campaigns that we're seeing um, are, are taking over the share of network um, are from advertisers that have, you know, 99 creatives in a single campaign that they're running. Um, and there's a lot of small nuanced tweaks to them. Um, and you're also seeing some bigger, you know, some are uh, the formats, right? It's a banner ad or it's a video or it's an interstitial. Um, and then some of the difference of what's in that ad, if it's uh, featuring products or if it's more user-generated content-esque. Um, and that's where we're seeing a lot of testing. And I think that shows a lot of um, kind of maturation in the market for mobile advertising. Um, we're getting really sophisticated um, in what we're doing. And I think that um, having a lot of creatives um, that you're testing strategically um, is a really good practice going forward on mobile. Well, Lexi, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. Give us one app we should definitely check out. Ooh, um, I would say I am a little biased, but House Party is, um, is a, as one app I'd say to check out. Um, it's an app that basically kind of does video conferencing, but it's less about scheduling in the call in advance and then people use that one link. It's more about you open house party and it's kind of supposed to feel like a house party where all your other contacts and friends 
can pop into your space and say hi. <laughs> um, and it's, we've seen it take off, especially with Gen Z. And um, I actually personally use it to stay in touch with family. Um, and it's been, uh, it's really fun. It also has games inside it that you can play. Um, and I think it's a great way to kind of stay in touch. Um, and so that's, that's one app I'd say that I'd recommend checking out. I love it. Yeah. I like their little notifications. Like my son's in there. He's 12. He's like, I'm like, Oh, Noah's in house party. You want to join him? I'm like, Oh my goodness, this kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you can have people, um, you got to lock your room if you want to have a specific house party. It's one, oh, I see. one tip. Otherwise you've got uh, any of your contacts can kind of come in and out, which is part of the fun. Um, but I did, uh, I was having a call with my family and one of my friends, uh, did join in. <laughs> we were a bit surprised to see mom and dad. And <laughs> so. <laughs> and Tucker. <laughs> yeah, and their dog Tucker, who actually does make a cameo usually every time. <laughs> uh, I love it. What's a lesson that took you the longest to learn? I think one of the biggest ones is, um, is really knowing the market, right? So uh, basically, um, it's really important to partner with a local partner if you're trying to go overseas um, and know that market and, and to do that in a manner that is using the right, for instance, um, screenshots. We saw that, you know, in some, ad, um, in some app store screenshots um, that devices that were, uh, that had like a white body to the device or like outline uh, performed better in some markets than those that had um, the kind of a black um, outline to the phone. Um, which was really interesting um, and it just taps into different nuances within markets so i think that's really important um, is understanding your markets especially if you're looking to go overseas and to expand uh, beyond your primary market um, i think that's also important you know another example i'll use is peer-to-peer um, -peer payment apps are extremely popular in the us um, you don't see them as much in markets like australia for instance because that functionality has been built into mobile banking apps for a while um, so that's another indication, right? Like typically um, apps that will launch in Canada or Australia or the US, there's a lot of similarities in those markets. So you can kind of easily start to expand in that way. But for something like a Venmo or um, a peer-to-peer -peer payment app, it's less, um, you have to be aware of those market differences and know that, oh, okay, well, their banking is a little bit different than ours and that type of app might not be um, see the uptake we'd expect because that feature is embedded already within their banking apps. Um, so I think for me that that is the biggest um, learning is, especially with games as well, um, there's different um, appetites uh, globally and different um, preferences. And so types of games and even the, um, the gameplay and the graphics and how it's designed, um, different, it resonates differently in different markets. So really understanding that and knowing what markets, um, what the top apps and games are, how they performed over time, um, if they've been a flash in the pan or if they've had long-term success, really can help you be strategic when you do launch uh, a game or an app and making sure you understand uh, what those differences are between kind of the, the market appetites for what you have to offer um, and then being really strategic about where you expand to. Um, and I, I mean, a lot of people in the industry know, like if you're, if you're gonna launch an app in the US, you tend to soft launch in Canada, New Zealand, or Australia, um, just because of that similar, uh, similar attitudes and similar appetites there. So um, that's something I'd recommend, but also just looking at the apps that are being used and how that's tracked over time is a really good indication of what, um, what, what is working and what isn't working in some countries and, and whether or not that feature or that app would do well. 
the I gotta ask you, and I hate to put you on the spot. Which which what is it? Regions love the the white iPhone versus the darker iPhone. Um, so this was actually a few years ago um, mm-hmm. when we looked at it, um, and at the time, I believe it was when we uh, were looking at South Korea that the the creatives that showed um, a phone that was, I, I believe it was the black outline didn't perform as well. That's what I would have guessed. Black. Yeah. And yeah. so that was really, it was an interesting learning at the time. I, we haven't repeated that um, study uh, it, this year or anything. So it was a couple of years ago, things could have changed, but yeah, it was definitely something that um, was different to other markets that we had tested that in. I think in like Japan, like, I don't know, I'm just basing off of videos I've seen, but like Japan, South Korea and all that, like everybody has a white iPhone or a white phone. So it doesn't matter if it's an iPhone or not, but I think every, like from what I can remember seeing on just videos, but like, it's usually a white phone. So I can, that's yeah. what I guess when you, you were talking yeah. It's really interesting. I think that those are important nuances that if you're yeah. a company, you know, headquartered in the US or Canada, for instance, or UK, um, you want to make sure that you your ads and your screenshots and your videos in the app store, those assets, um, and also, yeah, the ads that you put out as well for paid advertising, um, take all of those things in mind. And one of the easiest ways to kind of uncover that without doing a heavy amount of testing is just looking at within your category and within other categories um, in those markets, what do those screenshots look like and what do they call out as key value propositions? That's another thing to consider. Um, and that gives you a window into, okay, these are the most successful apps in health and fitness and they all call out these key features um, and that helps guide that decision. I think you should always A-B test as well, but mm-hmm. that gives you at least a, a starting place for some of your hypotheses. I love it. Well, everybody knows it. The website, if you guys want to learn more, is App Annie. I will link up to the Ascend new product as well. So go ahead and check that out. Lexi, if the audience wants to connect with you personally and say thank you for coming on, do you want to send them anywhere else? Absolutely. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, it's Lexi Cito, um, so LinkedIn.com, um, and then slash I think I am yeah. <laughs> slash L E X I S Y D O W. I'm always happy to engage with other mobile enthusiasts like myself. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we can we can talk about this. So come back anytime, Lexi. You got more information. Come back anytime. If you click on Lexi's name in your favorite podcast app, it will go directly to our LinkedIn. And then obviously, if you click on, click on App Annie, you'll go to the website as well. Lexi, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a blast. <laughs> thank you all for listening. I'll see you on the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.